Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Monday, February 19th. I'm Hannah Floor. The Alaska Senate is working on rejecting several of the dozen executive orders Governor Mike Dunleavy issued earlier this year. The orders are mostly related to restructuring or eliminating various boards or commissions, and they're set to become law unless the legislature votes them down by mid-March. As Eric Stone reports from Juneau, Senate committees have heard significant pushback on some of the orders. Senate committees have moved quickly to examine the 12 orders, says Senate President Gary Stevens. We've never seen so many in my experience uh, at one time. Uh, we're going to go through, going through them very methodically, one at a time, making sure that they go through our committees. The Dunleavy administration says the executive orders are efforts to eliminate inefficiencies in government and enhance accountability. But senators have heard public opposition to many of the orders as they've moved through committees. Several people speaking out against them have said the boards Dunleavy wants to eliminate provide important public input to ensure a variety of perspectives are heard. Senator Bill Wilikowski, an Anchorage Democrat, says that's been a worry for his constituents. I think the theme is a concentration of power that uh, many people are concerned with. One order that drew particular interest would eliminate the Management Council for Wood Tikchik State Park in southwest Alaska. The board includes representatives of the governor's administration, plus members of local governments and tribal groups. Wood Tikchik is the only state park with such a management council, and Council Chair Cody Larson says its structure is key to maintaining community buy-in. We can only move at the speed of trust. Others pushed back against orders eliminating the Susitna Basin Recreation Rivers Advisory Board and the Advisory Council for the Chilkat Bald Eagle Preserve in Haines. Another order would give the commissioner of the Alaska Department of Fish and Game the authority to regulate the, quote, live capture, possession, transport, or release of native or exotic game or their eggs, end quote. And opposition to those orders was voluminous. Senator Kathy Giesel, an Anchorage Republican, says in addition to hours of public testimony, her committee received a three-inch stack of written comments on the four orders. Over in the Senate Labor and Commerce Committee, midwives, barbers, and masseuses spoke out against executive orders that would absorb their licensing boards into the Department of Commerce, Community, and Economic Development. And Committee Chair Senator Jesse Bjorkman, a Nikiski Republican, says he's listening. It's my desire to represent the interests of my constituents on the Kenai Peninsula who hold those professions and who have overwhelmingly expressed concern about the, the state government chloroforming their boards, which provide them a professional voice in crafting regulations that govern their professions. Several executive orders were not the subject of much opposition, though. That includes an order eliminating the Criminal Justice Information Advisory Board. It's only met five times since 2014 and last got together half a decade ago. And one hasn't been heard at all in either the House or Senate. It would allow the governor to appoint all members of a board that advises the Alaska Marine Highway System. It's scheduled for its first hearing in the Senate Transportation Committee on February 20th, and public testimony is slated for February 22nd. To prevent the orders from taking effect would require a majority vote in a joint session of the legislature. And Stevens, the Senate president, says he plans to hold an up or down vote on all 12. But that means the House would have to vote to invite the Senate to a joint session. And Stevens says that's no sure bet. We can't force the House to meet with us. The only way we can... uh... We can uh, up, um, uphold or overturn the governor's, uh, well, I guess overturn the governor's uh, executive orders is by a meeting, a joint meeting of the House and Senate. So we're hoping the House moves ahead. Stephen says he expects to discuss the prospect of a joint session with the House Speaker the week of February 19th. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Eric Stone. 
a multi-year, multi-million dollar dredging project in Petersburg South Harbor has wrapped up. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers removed over 80,000 cubic yards of dredged material from the harbor floor to allow boats to safely navigate in and out of their stalls. The project took almost eight years to get started and cost about $10 million. The Corps paid for the majority of the dredging and the Petersburg borough covered the remaining $3 million. That pot of money came from Petersburg's Harbor Department reserves, which were saved from about a decade of state taxes on seafood landings. Petersburg's Harbor Department set out to get the harbor dredged in order to keep marine traffic unobstructed. Harbormaster Glorian Wolin says that if the marina got any shallower, boats coming into the inner harbor would be more likely to get damaged. Two years ago, we were seeing boats that were hitting you know, hard spots or hitting um, shallow areas on the entrance. Yeah, we got to a lot of scheduling, you know, like telling boats, hey, you can't come in. We don't want you to tie up until, or if you're in the harbor, don't try to leave until a certain time. Holland says she felt relieved to see the contractors scoop up the last shovel of debris this month, just in time for crab season. We're really thrilled here almost eight years later that that we celebrated uh, crab season now with guys fully loaded on a minus tide, you know, in and out of the harbor without hesitation. So that was a good feeling. Wolin says the harbor will need to get dredged again in the next decade or so because of something called isostatic rebound. Basically, as nearby glaciers retreat, the pressure on the land lessens and it rises up. And that makes Petersburg's harbors shallower over long periods of time. But Wolin says the borough won't have to pay for the next dredging. Petersburg's harbor is now federally recognized, so the Army Corps of Engineers will cover the costs to keep it dredged in the future. A major transition is ahead for the Alaska Federation of Natives. AFN leaders have announced plans for Julie Kitka to step aside as president before this fall's convention. Rhonda McBride has more on how this changing of the guard will take place. Next month, AFN will open the application process, the first step in choosing the next person to lead the state's largest native organization. In an announcement, AFN leaders said it was Kitka's choice to leave this role. Kitka was elected president in 1990, but her service to AFN goes back four decades. From health care to fulfilling the goals of the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act, Kitka has had a hand in almost every one of AFN's major achievements. Julie's managed AFN through historic issues. Paul Ontaguk, an Alaska Native historian, says it's always tough for a legacy leader to decide when it's the right time to leave. No one lands on that one squarely that I've ever seen. There's an enormous amount of appreciation that needs to be given for all the time and enormous effort that she has put in year after year. Kitka first joined AFN in 1984 as a special assistant for human resources. She also served as AFN's Washington, D.C. lobbyist and vice president. AFN's board of directors has created a succession committee and hired the Four Acre Group to help with the search and transition. Four Acre is an organization that helps nonprofits grow and adapt to change. 
AFN is also asking its members to fill out a survey to help them choose the new president. Angtuguk says that's a good idea, and it's especially important for AFN leaders to hear from the younger generation who may have ideas they would never even imagine. The way people think about what that role is and what it should be, what it could be for the future, it really does need to take a fresh bend to the river. The plan is to have a new president in place by October to lead the 2024 AFN convention, the largest gathering of its kind in the state. Kitka says she has no comment at this time, but is not leaving the picture entirely and will take up a new role at AFN to be announced in the near future. AFN's co-chair Joe Nelson says it's difficult to imagine an AFN without Julie Kitka at the helm, but AFN leaders, he says, are committed to a healthy transition. In Anchorage, I'm Rhonda McBride. A first attempt to regulate cruise traffic in Sitka failed to get traction at the assembly table this week. A proposed ordinance creating a permitting process for commercial buses was voted down on first reading after some worried the measure might harm Sitka's long-standing tour businesses. Catherine Rose reports from Sitka. Assemblymembers Tor Christensen and Tim Pike co-sponsored the ordinance, which sought to address community concerns about increased bus traffic during the summer cruise season. Under the proposed code, in order to secure a permit, the bus would need to pass an inspection and meet the EPA emission standards for the year the bus was manufactured. Permits would not be required for electric buses, school buses or public transit, or any bus that holds 40 or fewer passengers. Christensen said that over the last couple of years, the assemblies received frequent complaints about the uptick in bus traffic associated with the increase in cruise visitation. This ordinance was a chance for the assembly and the community to discuss it. You know, we had almost daily complaints about soot and a number of other, just the, the heavy traffic. And I don't think you need to be a traffic engineer to say that this is not what these roads were designed for, especially when you get off on the smaller streets. The ordinance, as written, would have capped the number of available commercial bus permits at 10. But Christensen said that number was a placeholder and open to negotiation. Cruise terminal owner Chris McGraw operates about half of the commercial buses that bring passengers into town. He said the ordinance wouldn't get at what it was hoping to do and might even cause more traffic. I think working with industry through tours and best management practices, uh, in which that program you could easily implement uh, TOR's idea of the uh, EPA test, the computer test. As an industry individual, I'd be more than happy to sign on to that uh, and agree to that. Um, I want my buses to meet emission standards uh, just like everybody else does. McGraw said he understands the community's concerns about buses, and in response, he's updating his fleet with smaller buses that meet updated emission standards. In a letter penned to the assembly, he said he's replacing half of his buses this season and the remainder over the next two years. The other company that operates buses to shuttle cruise passengers downtown is Alaska Coach Tours. And then there are several other companies that use commercial buses to provide guided shore excursions, like Sitka Tours. Owner Trudy Pruitt said the ordinance would put Sitkins, like her and her drivers, out of work. If this ordinance passes, Sitka Tours will fail. And after 50 years of blood, sweat and tears, I feel it would be your fault. Over about an hour, the assembly heard a lot of public testimony, mostly folks calling for them to reject the ordinance. 
A handful of Sitkins voiced support and asked the Assembly to approve it on first reading to continue the discussion. Larry Edwards, who led an initiative to cap Sitka's cruise traffic last fall, said the ordinance needed some work, but it was needed all the same. It's the only vehicle we have for uh, dealing with the problems that we have with either buses or the cruise impacts writ large that could have an effect for this year. So I think that uh, there needs to be further discussion between now and the next assembly meeting and at that meeting and see if we can find a way forward on this. But when it came time for the assembly to deliberate, their feelings mirrored most of the evening's testimony. Assemblymember Chris Yestad emphatically opposed it. Highways were built for economic stability and economic improvement and commerce. That's what HPR and that's what Sawmill are. They're highways. They're doing what they are intended to do. We, this whole ordinance is discriminating against one industry right now, attacking one industry. This is ridiculous. Yestad said he'd rather see the assembly incentivize companies to move to buses that meet higher emission standards rather than punish them for the buses they have. With two absent assembly members, including the other sponsor, Tim Pike, it was clear that the ordinance wouldn't pass. But Christensen hoped it would move the needle toward a solution to summertime congestion in Sitka, which is high on the list of local complaints about cruise tourism. The ordinance failed one to four, with Christensen the sole vote in favor. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski introduced a bill last week to support coastal communities. The legislation, called the Working Waterfronts Act, would establish grants for marine infrastructure and mariculture, resources for fishermen to convert boats to hybrid or electric engines, and improve research on ocean acidification, among other things. Murkowski's office said in a press release the bill aims to improve food security, shoreside infrastructure, and even support federal conservation research projects. Several fishing industry groups and organizations voiced support for the bill. Bruce Shatler, the director of the National Seafood Marketing Coalition, thanked the senator in a statement, saying, quote, The provisions in the act will help the industry compete in a global market that has long ago passed us by with their subsidies that address labor, financing, technology, and marketing, end quote. The senator said in the release she has been in contact with several ocean-based industry experts. Murkowski also asked for public feedback on what to include in the bill back in 2022. The legislation has been referred to the Senate Committee on Finance, but it is unknown if the committee will take the bill. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.